we're going to talk about what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks. And it's this series that we've titled Be the Message. And I really, I really enjoy emails I get and from people who come up and just share with me how this has been a helpful series. Because one of the things that we are about this year is, is becoming outwardly focused. And what does it mean in this coming year? And, and one of the great joys of being able to bring George Kenworthy on staff to begin to kind of help give some more leadership to our outreach ministries and what this means for every area of our church. And we've given a number of messages. We talked about be the message, and and we talked about be it, model it, live it, say it, do it, defend it. And this week we're going to talk about know it. And so I'm going to read to you from Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 18, and also then Colossians 3, verse 17. And I'm not going to take time to go through this specific passage, but I want to share this passage with you because it sums up this whole concept of be the message is. And so the uh, reading from the paraphrase the message, he says, we look at this son, Jesus, and see God who cannot be seen. We look at this son, Jesus, and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything gets got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. And then verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul writes to this church in class. He says, let every detail in your lives, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Let's bow together. Father, we would t- pray that in this, in this moment that you would take this series as we come to the end of it and, and we talk about being the message, help us to know it. What is the essential reality that we are to be about? So take our hearts, my heart, speak through me, open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. Meet us in a place where we might need healing. Meet us in a place where you might want to awaken us to something. Meet us in a place where we need our faith in this moment. Meet us in a place where we need comfort. But God, help us not to make this just a message that goes into our head, but may you translate it through your spirit into our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a fun time of year, this time of year, when we have kids in the service and have some opportunity to be here. And I love little kids because they're so honest, right? I remember a story that I heard about two brothers, wasn't my brother Keith and I, but two other brothers who, it was time to go to bed and they would say their nightly prayers. And so they were getting ready to say their prayers and the younger one began and he knew that his birthday was just a week away and so he was really loud and and with great enthusiasm at the top of his lungs, practically shouting. He said, thank you God for this day. I thank you for my birthday. Oh, Jesus, I would like a new bike, a baseball glove. And he started listing these things, and his brother stopped him, interrupted him, and said, what are, why are you yelling? You're acting as if God's practically deaf. His little brother said, I, I know God isn't, but Grandma's in the next room, and she practically is. 
And a story you may have heard as well about little kids, a Sunday school teacher who was working to teach that next Sunday, her kids that Saturday night was preparing a lesson, and she wanted to get across the concept of, of being prepared. She wanted to understand the, this, this whole idea of being diligent, and so she was thinking, how can I use an illustration, maybe something to grab their attention, something to get them with me as I began to talk about these concepts. And she thought, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and I'll describe something, I'll illustrate it, and as I describe it, you know, uh, maybe they'll get it. So she starts out and she says, I'm going to describe to you something I'd love for you. When you get it, just raise your hand. Don't say anything right away, but just raise your hand. Because she thought, you know, they'd be raising her hands like that. Well, she had their attention. And she begins. She says, I'm thinking of something that lives in a tree. And she paused. There were no hands. It eats nuts. She's expecting hands to go up. Pause. No hands in the air. It can be furry gray and brown and sometimes red. She pauses and waits, and there's still no hands in the air. And the kids are looking at each other a little bit bewildered. And then she said it chatters and sometimes flips its tail and gets excited. Pause and still no hands. And yet one boy rather hesitantly decided to begin to kind of raise his hand and raise his hand in the air. And she was really happy to see that someone was going to respond. And she said, okay, Michael, what do you think it is? And Michael, a bit unsure, said, well, it sure sounds like a squirrel, but I know that every answer is supposed to be Jesus. <laughs> now, you've heard that before, some of you. It's always fun to hear it again. But here's, here's, here's something I want to share with you. In this final message, which really I meant this message to be the first one, but things got changed around, and, and it was really neat how all that worked out, and this is the final one, and I'm glad it's the final one. Because there's three points. They're really easy to remember. You won't have trouble. Like if you need someone, like today someone says, you know, what was the message about? I'm going to expect you to be able to share it because it's three easy points. And the points are first, Jesus. That's the first point. Second point is Jesus. And can you guess what the third point is? Jesus. So if someone says to you, what was the message today? What? Okay, well, good. You got it. I'm going to read to you from Colossians 1, 15 through 18, because it kind of says it again, verse 3, chapter 3, then 17, because it's in the NIV this time. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through and for him. He is above all, before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's what you need to know, here's who you need to know, if you're going to be the message. To be the message, you need to know this, Jesus. So first, when we are talking about the church, we are talking about who? You're, you're, you're getting better, good. As we talk about the church, we talk about who? Jesus. From the early days, this is what the church was all about. You can go through Acts. You can look at the epistles. As the people of God, we are called the body of Christ. 20 times. As a gathering of redeemed sinners, on numerous occasions, we are called the bride of 
Christ. The church is made up of disciples of Christ. We are called the followers of Jesus. If you look at An- in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, at Antioch, when the church was beginning to be formed, it was moved from Jerusalem up to Antioch and, and began to kind of become the nucleus and the, the place that the church was birthed from. The disciples were first, were told, called Christians, which literally means Christ ones. And then if you note the earliest name for the church, it's found in Acts 9. It's a very interesting kind of um, um, understanding that they had of the church. It was not just known by the disciples this way, by the followers of Jesus. It was actually known throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and up even in the Damascus areas. Because we, we find out that it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, In verse 2, meanwhile, Saul, who is now at this point persecuting church, hasn't had this Damascus Road experience. If you're watching AD, the Bible, you got this, right? Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple, against Jesus' followers. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in, in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to, here's the word that is used for the description of the people who were the church in that day, if they found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You'll find that in Acts a couple different times. Our first name, we were called the way of who? Jesus. That's how they referred to him. Oh, those people of the way of Jesus. Because the church is all about Jesus. Whether you think of the church as a place, a building that we meet in, or you think of the church as a people, which the scripture calls us to be, a community of those who follow Christ, the point of the church is Jesus. So whether a building or a people, it exists for one reason, and one reason only, Jesus. It's not about enriching programs. It's it's not about a social networking. It's not about a gathering of friends, and those are all good things. It's not about helping the poor, essentially. It's not necessarily about being a center of goodness. It's not about primarily improving our lives or strengthening our marriages or raising kids and teaching them how to have character. It's primarily about Jesus. And not that those things are bad. In fact, those are all good things. But those are all results. Those are all expressions. Those are all things that come because we as a people are connected to who? Jesus. And when we're connected to Jesus, those kind of things begin to flow through us. So first and foremost, front and center, at the core, above and below, from within and without, from the top to the bottom, from beginning to end, from start to finish, from A to Z and in between, the church is all about Jesus. And so as a church, we exist to bring glory to who? Jesus. We're here about pointing to Jesus. Our mission, if you think and you look at our mission as a church, our mission is to help all people take their next step to know, to follow, and become like Jesus. And so whether we're speaking about the church or where you're telling someone about the place that you go to on Sundays or throughout the week, when you're talking about why is that a free, let it be known. We are talking about Jesus. We are here for Jesus because of Jesus, and we live every day for Jesus and with him. 
Paul writes this, let every detail in our lives, words, and actions, whatever be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Now, I have to share with you, we will have failed as a church if we don't help with you in your life carry out this mission of knowing more intimately, and maybe for some of you the first time, following more closely the Word of God, hearing the Spirit of God through His Bible, and then becoming like Him. Because we're about introducing the people to Jesus, helping them grow in Jesus, maturing in Him. Paul writes in Colossians 1.28, Here is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. That was his entire mission. That is our mission. And so I just want to share with you, I want you to be thinking about in your own life, when you think about the church, when you think about what's going on here, what we're connected to is Jesus. And a lot of good things happen, but the primary thing that's happening here is that we are helping one another be connected to Jesus. And I think if we get that kind of thing right, it'll take care of a lot of things. I was um, thinking about this, and I was thinking, as you are part, you know, thinking through this, are you actively taking steps to grow in your relationship with Jesus? What would it look like if you took those steps? Are you becoming more like Jesus? A good test of a church, a good test of a faith that you might believe in is, is this. Not that you know a lot more and you get a lot more knowledge, but that you become what? A loving person. Because that's what Jesus is all about. Love God with all your heart and love one another as yourself. That's what it means to become like Jesus. And are you becoming then more humble? Is life becoming less about you? I was thinking about this last Sunday as we were singing this song, The Heart of Worship. And you know, I can be a little bit quirky, and I'm over here singing, and I was getting my I was kind of letting myself get into it. Because that's what worship is. Worship isn't just you singing some songs, it's about thrusting your heart into God, saying, you know, it's not about me coming and, and, and wondering, do I like this? It's really about God, here is the most extravagant gift I can give you this day. It's me, and I want to just pour my heart into you. So I'm 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 singing this song, and as I'm singing this song, um these Interesting thought comes to me, and I, I actually thought about it was going to come up here and kind of interrupt Joel, and then I thought, no, I probably shouldn't do that, so I used some self-restraint, a little bit more like Jesus there. Um, but you know how the song goes. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it, because it's all about you. It's all about you. And here's the thought that came in my head. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and as I was singing it, and I was singing it correctly, this thought at the same time came to mind, and it's all about me, it's all about me, Jesus. Can you imagine that? And I, I felt repulsed. And I know we sing this in an aspirational way. This church, our church, is all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And, and we're sorry for when we... But really, when you think about it, how often in my own life and in, in our lives is it really about Jesus. And so as I, I was thinking about it, I was going to come up and say, Joel, let's sing it. And let's just, I'm going to ask you, you know how we change words sometimes? It's all about you. It's all about, I was, can you imagine singing that? 
it, it would gross you out, I hope. It seems so offensive. The church, wonderful programs, wonderful things that God is doing, wonderful friendships. All those are great things, and all those should be expressions, but guess what? It is ultimately about who? Jesus. And the second point is Jesus. When we're talking about the message, we're talking about who? Jesus. So when we're talking about the church, we're talking about Jesus. And when we talk about the message that comes from the church, we're talking about what? It's a little redundant, I know, but it's what we're about. See, the message we're declaring and sharing and teaching others, wherever we go, if we are going to be the message, is Jesus. In fact, the entirety of the Old Testament points to Jesus. It is the message of the Old Testament. You take the Word of God and you look at the Old Testament, it is constantly pointing to one person. It's all about Jesus. Everything surrounding the religious life of Israel, you look at the sacrifices, you look at uh, all the ceremonial laws, you look at the high priest, and you look at the temple, they all pointed to who? Jesus. And when Jesus came, they all were what? No longer necessary, because they had been fulfilled in who? Jesus. You look at the political life surrounding the, the, the nation Israel, it was all about the king and the kingdom, and that there would come a king, and that king would be who? Jesus. You look at the prophets, and the prophets were speaking to people about living lives that were in, in, in line with God and his word. And every prophet was pointing to a great prophet who was to come, and his name was Jesus. And you look at wisdom literature, and it talked about being a wise person who, who lives their life in a way that is, that is, is in touch with God and, and wise, and, and it points to one person, because the, the one who sums up all wisdom is who? Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament. Then you begin with the New Testament. The New Testament begins with Jesus and ends with Jesus. In fact, if you, you look at it, you'll, 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 you'll see that from the very beginning, the announcements, even of the birth to Mary and then to Joseph and then at the Nativity, the angel is heralding what? Jesus. You come to the end of the book, you look at Revelation, and it ends by saying this, Amen, come Lord who? Jesus. And then it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, the church. And so when we're talking about the church, and then we talk about the message of the church, we're talking about Jesus. Mark writes in the very first sentence, the beginning of the gospel, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I was reading in Acts in my quiet time. I've been kind of stuck in Acts 5 and 6, these last number, practically a month or so. And I was reading this past week in verses 17 and 42 of Acts 5, and specifically in verses 40 and 42, and I found it very interesting. The religious leaders want to kill the apostles for spreading the news about Jesus. And so finally, they bring him before the Sanhedrin, and and, and one of the Sanhedrin is this very wise person who taught the apostle Paul, Saul. His name was Gamaliel. And at one point, Gamaliel stands up and he says, because they want to kill these apostles for spreading the news of Jesus. And he stands up at one point and he goes, wait a second, guys, don't do that. If this isn't of God, it'll just die naturally. And he gives a bunch of examples. But if this is God, you're fighting against God himself. Now, I love this because catch what it says. It says, Luke writes this, he records this. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. 
That's not a, 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 that wasn't like a spanking, okay? They were very good at, at actually bringing people to a point of, of near death. Now, I don't know the degree of the flogging here, because they may have a different degrees, but they were flogged. And then they ordered them, listen to this, not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then Luke continues, he says, and the apostles left the Sanhedrin after being flogged, rejoicing they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. What name? Jesus. And not some particular set of beliefs. Not some doctrines. Not even some practices. But for who? The name. Jesus. Now catch this. Having been flogged in order not to speak about Jesus, listen to what Luke states that they do. These are the next words. Day after day, pretty much means all the time, in the temple courts, directly in the face of those who had just flogged them, from house to house, pretty much means everywhere, they never stopped. Sounds like that song you sing, never stop, never stop, right? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And I could go on and on. Peter, at one point, is recorded in saying in Acts chapter 10, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The church is about Jesus. The message is about Jesus. The message we are bringing to others is about Jesus. So let me just make this point really, really clear. Your primary purpose is not to go out and to be the message to try and get someone to come to this church. It is not about, because that has become a big thing, church growth, let's get more, and it becomes a very self-serving thing. It is a wonderful thing if they come. I'm glad they come, because we hope that we can help them become more like Jesus. But that's not the primary purpose. It is not to go out and to try and get them convinced about a particular denomination. The purpose and the whole reason we have this message is not about trying to convince them into a certain specific set of doctrinal beliefs. I'm not saying these things aren't bad or good, or I mean that, that, they're, that they're bad. They're really good things. They can be. It's not to go out and try and get them to, to live in a certain way. We are leading people to a person, to a name who embodies all reality and all truth. And that name is what? You are introducing people not to a church or to a set of doctrines, or a set of practices, you are introducing them to a person a, into a relationship with who? That's the message. The message we bring is not good advice. It's good news. Here's the good news. God has come. His kingdom is here. Jesus reigns. The gift of the Spirit is available. You are able to receive forgiveness for your sins. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible because of who? That's the gospel. And we're not bringing a message of self-help, five steps to a better marriage, ten steps to greater self-confidence, three ways to live a happier life. Listen to this, too. We're not about primarily eliminating poverty or creating a moral culture or about, this is going to throw you a little bit, about even trying to get people to heaven. Wait a second. They're all important. I'm not saying they aren't. 
We are about telling people about Jesus because Jesus eliminates poverty. Jesus creates morality in the heart and soul in a culture. Jesus gets people to heaven. The message is about Jesus. And in Jesus, all the things that we sometimes try and put in the first place of order begin to become expressions when people have a heart relationship with him. The church is about Jesus. That's what we're about. The message that we bring is about Jesus. And, and, and here's the last thing. Here's the last point. What do you think the point is? Jesus, right. Finally, we are talking, when we are talking about salvation, we are talking about who? Jesus. And this may be the most important point of them all. We are leading people to Jesus because only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. And Jesus made this really clear. He wasn't trying to sound real clever when he said this. He looked at his disciples at one point, and he had been with them for three years at this point, and he looks at them and he says, you guys, I just want you to know, because they're still trying to figure out the way to get to heaven and to get to this place of the kingdom. And he says, I just want to make this really clear before I go to the cross here. This is the truth. This is what I want you to understand. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Sounds pretty exclusive, doesn't it? It is really exclusive. Right? Well, he goes on, and and Peter tells us, and John tells us, in in, in no uncertain terms, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, as they're talking to those who were followers of the temple in the Old Testament, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be what? So salvation is about who? It's about what name? And I could go on and on making this point, but Scripture attests that when we are talking about salvation, and I don't mean merely going to heaven when you die someday because you're trying to get someone to have some, what I would call some eternal fire insurance. It's, it's, it's not about that. What we're talking about is a relationship with Jesus that begins today bringing hope and healing and his saving and powerful presence into our life. Not about something out there someday, but about something that takes us in our own selfishness, in our own sin, in moving in this direction. And we, we come in contact with this person, Jesus, and Jesus grabs hold of our hearts. And as he grabs hold of our hearts, he grabs hold of us. And we, as we follow him, begin to move in a whole new direction. And we actually enter into heaven now. He begins to start cleaning us up now. And it's not about our trying to make it happen. It's about us being in right relationship to him. It's about us daily living in a sense of humility where we encounter Jesus and we walk in the presence of our God and Savior whose name is... I could go on. I could read to you some verses in Galatians. I'm not going to because Paul in Galatians says it so strongly at one point. He says it with such firmness. And he basically is saying, his point is this, do not add anything to the work of Jesus. Because if any other gospel is added to them, is added to it, he says, if anybody's preaching a gospel other than what I had shared with you, let them be under God's curse. So don't add anything to the work of Jesus. His life, his death, and resurrection is what saves you. He saves you, Jesus, and only Jesus. And catch this, it is not how much you love him that saves you. Don't let Satan play that trick on you. 
It is not even about your feeling forgiven that saves you. It is about the fact that Jesus, in, in, in his presence here on earth, did a work that forgave you, and it is about the love that came from the Father that is so full and so free that saves you. It is not a thing about you. So when you go out and you share the message, we as a church are about Jesus, the message is about Jesus, and when we talk about salvation, which basically means living in the healing, saving powerful, life-transforming presence of God, which begins today. When we talk about that, we're talking about Jesus. And, and here's what I think sometimes we get messed up with. We, we forget the fact that our salvation, this whole life, which begins in faith in Jesus and his grace, we begin to start thinking we have to do something. We, we begin to start thinking if we don't believe the right things or do the right things, we're not going to be saved. And, and I, I love what, what Dallas Willard writes here. I'm going to, I've shared this book before, The Lure of Gentleness by Dallas Willard at one point, and he's talking here, and he says this. He goes, you know, people get hung up on this. You may say, wait a moment. You can't mean that. I'm saved because I'm right. I'm saved because I, write, I believe the right things and because I'm doing the right things. He goes, wait a second. And he goes, no, no. You're right because you are saved. If that's the way it is, get it in the correct order. You didn't get saved because you're right. So don't go and try and save people by telling them they've got to believe. This is by rightness. It's about relationship. You got saved because of the grace of God who loves you and gave his son for you and the Holy Spirit which touched your heart through the word of the gospel so that you found yourself believing. And it turned out that you were believing and what you were believing was right. That's how you got saved. That's why so many churches have grace in their name, he says. Not many want to go to right church. But we'll gladly go to Grace Church. But, but what do we do sometimes? We, you know, the church and the message and salvation, it's all about being right. He goes, no, it's all about the Grace Church. He says, not many people want to go to right church, but we'll gladly go to Grace Church. If He says, I've been to right church, and you may have been there too. It's a tough place. Some of you live with right people. Anyway, um, there are a lot of dead people at right church because life comes by grace. My being right might be of some use to somebody, but probably not. I'm not in favor of being wrong, mind you. But being right can be a tremendous burden to carry. The value of being right isn't in its ability to impress someone, not even God. Now catch this. The value of being right is that it enables you to deal effectively with reality and integrate your life with reality appropriately. Please listen to this again. This is incredibly important. The value of being right, which didn't come into relationship with that, you, the relationship brought you into rightness. The value of being right is that it enables you to deal effectively with reality and integrate your life with reality appropriately. So why do I believe that Jesus is exclusive? Why do I believe there's no other name? Because if Jesus, if God is reality, let's just use that word truth. God is the fullness of reality. If God is, is true and he's fully reality, 
would it make sense that he's going to reveal the fullness of the reality, the truth of who he is, if it's in Jesus? It would seem like there's no, I mean, there's no other name that has ever revealed this God in this way. And Jesus is about humble people receiving grace through faith. For it's not by works that you're saved, right? If you read Ephesians, Paul says it very simply. He says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, whether they're right beliefs or right works, so that no one can boast. You are saved by faith in who? Jesus. And when you come to know Jesus, he creates all that stuff as you walk with him. So let me just conclude by saying this. To be the message, that means the message is Jesus. To be the message means to be Jesus to others. We've talked about that throughout the series. To be the message is about us together as a church being Jesus. Because we want to be Jesus, model Jesus, live Jesus, share Jesus, glorify Jesus to everyone everywhere. We want to bring everywhere we go the life-changing love of Jesus to every place we go, to everyone we know. So i just share with you this last story. I was with this group, and we were praying, and we prayed 845, or, yeah, 845 um, before that 9 o'clock education hour that we have, um, that adult class hour on Sunday mornings, and we were praying just about a week or so ago, and, and one of the individuals, Carol Ellis, um, some of you know Ray and Carol, um, they're greeters, and they have these great smiles, and if you don't know them, you'll, you should get to know them. Anyway, Carol shared with me about a friend of hers who's a, a missionary from Madagascar, and she shared about this uh, missionary who had been there for 20 years, and he had begun churches there, and he had been working there, and he, he told her the story, and his story, he said, whenever I tell it, I just get tears in my eyes when I tell this story. And at one point, he was just shared with her, I was going throughout some of the churches in Madagascar that had been formed and started and, and was meeting with people. And I came across a guy who was 105 years of age. And, and here's this guy, 105 years of age. Now, you have to understand something about the demographics of Madagascar. You see, in Madagascar, to live to 105 years of age is, is practically a miracle. I mean, if you understand their demographics, only 3% of the people live beyond 65 years of age. I mean, we blow that away here. Only 3%. And, and then, the, then the other thing about Madagascar, you understand that 50% of the, of the people are under 18 years of age. So that's a pretty astounding thing as he comes across this guy who's 105 years of age, and he, he's going to these churches. He meets this guy, 105, and he asks him the simple question. He says, how long have you been a Christian? And this older man, I'm sure probably with a toothless smile, looks up at him and goes, since I was 95 years of age. There's still hope if you're praying. (laughs) And the missionary who is amazed that a 95-year-old man would finally, at this stage of their life, having lived so long, make a trust-faith commitment to Jesus. Had to ask him, he said, so um, what took you so long? Good question, right? And he looked at him without missing a beat, and he said, that's when you built a church here. And I did the same thing you did. I went, wow. 
I remember going to Ethiopia and with my daughter, and she was in high school at that time, her senior year, and we went to this remote place on the, on the eastern side of Ethiopia, and then we went to an even remoter place, and we went to this village, and the village was so far away from any church that the guy built this little prayer hut was where he would go to meet with his God, who was his God, Jesus, at this point, because of missionaries. And, and we sat in this thing, and it, and it had this stove cooking with, well, I won't go into all that. Anyway... And my daughter asked a simple question as we were asking questions, and her question was, what difference has Jesus made in your life? And he looked at her and he said, I've got peace. And he had this big smile. Jesus gave me peace. I think of that Madagascar missionary and the response, what took you so long? And he said, it wasn't until you build a church. I went to, we're a church that's about Jesus. We're bringing a message about Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus. And there are people, I truly believe, that God has placed around you who in their hearts might be saying, tell me about them. Live in such a way. Have faith. Start praying. Start looking for God to do something. And let me share with you, it doesn't happen overnight. You, you might just want to begin. Here's, through this whole series, if you just even begin to start saying, God, I just want you, the simple prayer could be, God, I just want to open my eyes. Would you open my eyes of my heart that you would begin to start putting on me a burden that begins to look outside myself that says, how can I be Jesus to someone else?